morning, everyone. Hope you had a blessed Christmas. And uh, I hope as we look into the new year today that uh, there'll be some thoughts for you to, uh, some things to consider and think about for this new year. Uh, New years are always a time of resolution. You know, it's the time everybody joins the gym, everybody goes on diets. We are certain that we're going to read the Bible through this year. You know, we're going to do our five chapters every day and make sure we get through it. And then the second or third week, you get behind. And then all of a sudden, one day, you've got to read 15 chapters to catch up. And, yeah, and all of a sudden, it becomes more of an exercise than actually engaging with the Word of God. But so much for that. What I'd like to do today is have us consider something that I want to call a resolution for the new year and a goal for our lifetime. Because what we're looking at today is not only for new years, but it should be our life's goal, ultimately. And what I'd like you to do, if you would turn to the book of Philippians, We're going to look at probably the most uh, well-known part of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, chapter 3. And the text for today is from chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, but we're going to actually go to 16. And what I don't want to do is just take this little portion and leave out the context. Because the background and the context of why Paul is saying what he's saying is very important. So, would you just bow with me in prayer and we will begin. Father, we ask for your grace now upon us, Lord, to help us. Help me, Lord, to speak only your words. And Lord, if I should say anything that is not of your will and your truth, Lord, I pray that it would be forgotten quickly. And I pray, Lord, that what is truth would adhere to the hearts of those who are listening today. Please give us a heart to, to see and to hear, Lord, what you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a resolution for the new year and a lifetime goal. I first want to read just our, our text for this morning here. And starting at verse 12 in chapter 3 of Philippians. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, would you go back to the beginning of that chapter? Because that's, that's the heart of what I want to talk about today but I want us to get there first so we know what's happening. And I'm going to walk through this very quickly so we have time to focus on the text. Okay, so it's going to be kind of a drive-by here. It's going to be very quick, put on your seatbelts or whatever because I, I don't want to dig too deep into this part but deep enough so that we understand what's, what's taking place. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. It's a good thing for us to remember. 
Don't ever think that because you hear something over and over that, well, I don't need to hear it anymore. Paul's making that clear to them. It's good for you to hear the same. We should always be going back over the gospel. We should always be going back over our lives and how God wants us to, to continually be sanctified and perfected. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Paul is writing, just like where we've been looking in 1 John, where that church was under attack from heresies. Same thing here, 35, 30, 35 years earlier, in, as Paul writes this. The church is always under attack. The church is under attack continually. It's under attack today. All the mainline denominations, we see what's taking place. Their, their theology and their, their whole overall faith in the truth is slowly being eaten away. And not only from the outside, but even more dangerous from the inside by their own theologians. But Paul is talking about those dogs. Dogs in that time were, were loose animals. They would run around in packs. They were considered filthy. They would eat the garbage. And Paul is referring to men called Judaizers in this. Uh, men who said, yes, faith in Christ is good, but you're not saved unless you actually have the circumcision and follow the laws, the letters of the law. So they were taking the atonement of Christ, the work of Christ, and then they were saying it wasn't enough, it wasn't sufficient. It's what the Catholic Church does today. It's no different. They're still doing that. It's, yes, you're saved by grace. They'll tell you that. Plus your merit. You're saved, you're, you're saved through faith, plus your works. You're saved by Christ, and you're saved you know, to know the scriptures, but it's also church doctrine. They're adding to, the, always. They're adding to the work of Christ, that the cross of Christ is not enough. Well, it is. That was God's plan, that we're saved by grace through faith in the life and work of Christ. We many times always talk about Jesus came and he saved us from our sin, we say. But he also came to live for our righteousness because it was through his perfect life of righteousness that he could be a substitute. If he just came and lived like us and died on the cross, that wouldn't have done anything for us. But it was because he lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life. He was the second Adam. He was that, that new Adam. He did what our federal head, Adam, didn't, couldn't do by sinning. So Paul is writing and he calls them dogs because he says those men who do evil, those mutilators of flesh, he's referring to circumcision days, taking the right of circumcision and making it, a, he's saying they're literally mutilating flesh. It's not, it's not necessary. And Paul, it, uh, in Romans 2.28, he makes it a point, he says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, and nor is circumcision outward and physical. He says, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. He says, and circumcision is, is not merely outward and physical, he says, but it is circumcision of the heart, he says, by the Spirit of God. And that's where we have to we have to remember that everything that God is looking at and what we do, he looks at our heart and he looks inwardly. And right from Deuteronomy, when, when they're out in the wilderness, God has Moses tell them, he says, circumcise your hearts way back then. It's always been an inward. It always has to do with the inward. It's not the outward. And Paul is going to confess his own life before Christ, how everything he did was outward ritual and my heritage and I did this and I did that. And he's going to come to the point, we'll see, where he says it's, it's a pile of garbage. It doesn't matter. It's what God does through Christ in us inwardly. And so he says here, those mutilators of flesh, verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. He's saying the Christians, we're the circumcision because our hearts have been circumcised. Our relationship with God, he says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, 
who glory in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh. And think about it. What did Jesus say? What kind of worship is? And when he talks to the Samaritan woman, does he say? He says, God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, there's going to time, it doesn't matter whether you're on Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim or wherever you're going. It's the spirit and the truth. It's an inward thing. It's not just the outward. It's not a physical thing with God. It's our spirit that counts. And then he says, look, and he's saying this for sake of argument. Okay, he's not saying, he's not doing this in a boast and stuff. He, the next thing he's going to say is because he's making an argument about this. He says, when he, where he says, he's, he puts, and who have put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence. Because Paul is saying here, hey, if anyone wants to brag about their credentials, if anyone wants to have an impressive resume on works, I'm the man, he says. And let me tell you why. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, that ritual. He was right on, right on the money with the ritual there. He says, of the people of Israel. He's that, he's that stock, the real thing here. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, if you want to call someone a Jew, God's chosen people. That's me, he says. I have all the credentials for it. And then he says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees were the guys who were counting them, their, the seeds for the mil, mint, dill, and cumin. They were separating the seeds. If they had 20 seeds, well, let's see, two go to God, and these 18 seeds, they were so focused on every little detail of outwardly carrying out God's laws. God bless you. <laughs> and, and Jesus was trying to make the point to them. That's not what God is looking at. And here, Paul, as he goes on, he says, in regard to Laura Pharisee, and think about when he was a Pharisee, he was respected. He was, you know, he had the nice long flowing robes and the phylacteries and the tassels and people. He's a Pharisee, that guy. Man, he's one of God's chosen people. He's really the, you know, he's, wow, we respect him, we look to him. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. And think about that. When Paul was persecuting the church, he thought he was doing God a favor. Well, I'm getting rid of all these phonies. Ooh, hello. Put the lights down. I'm t knocking out the lights in the place here. Okay. But I hope it's not a sign that I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep knocking them out and it's going to be a darkness is going to come over the church. I don't want that. I don't want to put out the light. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, here, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless or blameless. He says, I had the resume for perfection in outward works. Now watch what he says. Verse 7, but whatever was to my prophet, now notice he says prophet, and he's going to talk almost like an accountant here. He's going to talk about profit and loss. He says, but whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss. How is that possible? He, he had all these good credentials, but he says it's loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not just the greatness, he says, the surpassing greatness, the greater than great, it's even greater than greatness. He says it's the ultimate, the ultimate of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He gave up all that recognition, all his, the lifestyle he had of the Pharisee. He gave that all up. Read through the letters, especially Corinthians. He talks about, you know, being and hungry and thirsty and without cold and almost naked because there are no clothes practically. I mean, he did have clothes, but he's saying he didn't have anything much. He gave that all up, he says. But he says... I consider ever, it all a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. Why? 
I consider them rubbish, where it's a garbage heap. Everything that was looked upon as righteousness, he says, is garbage. Because it's outward righteousness. It's self-righteousness. All it was is he was expressing this for his own gain, for his own self. And now he says, it's lost. So he's talking like an accountant. He's saying, here, I thought I had everything, all the profit in the column here for, for, for profits, when it was a loss. He said, he says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's what matters. You want to be right with God? Get right with him in your heart. That's what counts. Loving God. We talked about, I remember doing last, uh, last New Year's message. And I said the two resolutions we should have, Jesus called the, the two most greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's everything. He said the whole Bible you can take, the whole Old Testament, and boil all those chapters and pages down into those two statements. Now he says, righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Is that our resolution this year, to know Christ? Is th should that be at the top? Is our first thing, see, sometimes we, we focus and we'll say, well, I want to know the Bible better. That's good. But make sure you're not just knowing the Bible. I got verses memorized. I can debate theologically with you any way I want. Do you know them? That's... Remember the Pharisees, I've, used, I've mentioned this verse all the time. In John 5.39, he says, you know, he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. These guys, they were Pharisees, they actually think, and I've said this before, they actually think there might have been some who had the whole Old Testament memorized. So all these guys did is soak it up. And then the Messiah comes... And what does Jesus say? He says, you think by them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said. Don't you get it? All that knowledge you have is up here, but you don't get it in here. You missed me. Here I am. You don't know me. Okay, I better move quick here. This is a long introduction. Okay. Anyway, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Shortened version, he wants to know Christ completely in every aspect of his relationship. The good, the bad, the suffering, the joy, everything. He wants to know Jesus, he says. Now, our getting to what we are. So remember that. He's been talking about his self-outward righteousness, based on ritual, based on just his own works, and saying, I realize it means nothing. He says, from knowing Christ, from being in Christ, from being in union with Christ. So verse 12, and here's our, here's our resolution for the year. Not that I have already obtained all this, nor have I already been made perfect. Let's stop. What is Paul saying? You might read this, he says, what I just wrote, and think, man, Paul has it together. He has it all to... He knows. He's, he's been there, done that, and he's finally found the answer. He's found perfection. He has it. He has it all. And then Paul says... Not that I've been there. I'm not there yet, he says. You may think I am, but I'm not. Not at all. He says, well, have already been made perfect, but I press on forward. I'm, I press on to take the, 
hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, the very thing Jesus took me for, I want what Jesus wants for me. He says, the very thing Christ wants, perfection, he says, that's what my goal is. Perfection, not from his own righteousness, not from what he does, not stacking up all the things, not marking on his Bible, oh, this is the first, third person I led to Christ, you know, and they put a little notch in their Bible. None of that stuff. Paul says, I want to be perfect like Christ because that's what Christ wants for me. And he knows he's not going to attain that in this life. He realized that. That's why my background, I was ordained in the early 90s in the Nazarene church. And their doctrine, which I struggled with, I talked to the district superintendent before my uh, ordination because I said, I said, I have a problem with, because they believe in a second work of grace, Christian perfection. John Wesley began that, the Methodists, you go to Methodists, they believe that there's an initial sanctification where you're saved, where you're justified, where your position before God is right, even though you're still not, but the righteousness of Christ is now yours. When God sees you, he looks at Christ's righteousness. But then the Nazarene church says there's also a second work of grace. And at that point, you're made, you're cleansed of sin, where your desire is now to love God will your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor is yourself. And my question to him was, I said, Dr. Mucci, I said, I gotta be honest with you. I said, I have never loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for one day. I've never loved my neighbor, you know, my whole life like myself. I've never loved my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm not, and then he explained that they actually weren't, he said, in the process of trying to, that a lot of, a lot of uh, ministers and, and the, even theologians church have been struggling with that and they, they want to change it anyway. He told me it was okay to feel that way and I don't know if I would have did it now, but uh, anyway, and then in 2000, I, uh, I finally, I think, I couldn't argue with what the Bible says and I uh, embraced Reformed theology you know, the, the theology of, of Luther and the reformers. But anyway, uh, so here Paul is saying, and this really to me knocks down that whole theology of Christian perfection. When Paul says this, not that I have already obtained it. He said, if anybody, the man who wrote over half the New Testament is saying, I'm not there, he says. And trust me, we are not either. Okay, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and this is, this is what I want to look at. How do, we, how do we get to a place to where Paul is talking about? How do we get to attaining towards what Christ wants for us? And there's, there's a biblical principle here. See, but I, I wanted to take it in context. I just didn't want to take it out of context. So keep the context in mind. He's talking, about, he's talking about true righteousness, righteousness that is from Christ and not our own righteousness. But he says, one thing I do, and I like that when he starts about that, because he says, one thing, he is focused. He says, it's one thing I do. There's many things I need to do, but this one I have to do. It reminds me of the old some of the old uh, movies or, or whatever, you know, you'd see somebody say, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to do this. And that's exactly what he's saying. If there's nothing else I do, I'm going to do this. He says, forgetting what is behind. You know, and Paul here, throughout in, in, in Corinthians chapter 9, he does it. Uh, he talks about that in Timothy at the end where in, in Second uh, Timothy, he, he likens the Christian life to a, a, a race. You know, he looks at the Christian that we are runners in a sense. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of you guys here, okay. Uh, he's, 
He looks at it as that we, as Christians, are the runners. Our life is a race. And Paul says here that that goal is to be like Christ. And he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, isn't that a good principle? How can you go ahead if you keep looking back? And that, for so many people, that becomes such a stumbling block. Because if we look behind us, first of all, it's really not relevant to the, to the present right now. But when we look at our life, we can either look behind us and we can see the negative. We can go, oh, and we can keep regretting. Oh, I did this. Oh, man, I did this in my life. Oh, I should have never done that. Oh, I hurt this part. Now, should we repent? Absolutely. But once we repent, thank you. <laughs> I like working together. We could, we could do good together. I like that. You're absolutely right. It's over. According to God's word, it is, at least. And now think about it. If we keep revisiting that, in a sense, aren't we saying, I, I really don't totally believe that God forgave me, that I'm forgiven of this sin. It's, it's really a lack of faith. When we keep going back and reliving all our sins, what is for, we'll go back to our favorite book, 1 John. <laughs> what does chapter 1, verse 9 say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says it's over. In Micah, it tells us that God is a God that delights in mercy. And then he says he has, he has, he has trampled our sins underfoot. He's taken them and just squashed them. He stepped on. And then it says, and hurled all our iniquities. All, he says, all our iniquities where? Into the depths of the sea. Now, you get the picture of that, but then picture for the Hebrew. The Hebrews, they didn't know how deep the ocean is. They didn't know that the lowest is five or six miles. I think that's, that used to be the Mariana Trench, I think, somewhere in this Pacific. But to them, it's much like the sky. The water just went and went. And what is Micah saying? What is God saying through Micah? He's saying that he's steps on them. You can't see them anymore. They're trampled underfoot. He says, and he hurls them into the depths of the sea. They're gone. It's over. God doesn't remember them. Does God know? Of course, God is omniscient, but he doesn't hold us against us. He treats us like they never were. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lord. We could form a trio here. I like this. I like this. <laughs> but we have... And, Really, we have to get over it. And we're either going to believe God's word or we're going to believe what our, our guilty conscience says to us. And Paul says one thing I do, forgetting what is... If Paul had something to regret, persecuting the church, he thought he was doing a good work, he was killing Christians. Remember, he, they tell the account of when Stephen was stoned, the first martyr... Paul is just overseeing it. They're putting, they're putting their coats down, you know, cloaks and things, and Paul is get the stones out. And poor Stephen is crushed to death under those stones. I mean, he went to glory. He already, he saw it and he asked, and here's Stephen saying, you know, forgive them, Lord. Don't hold this against them. You know, what a man, huh, of God. But, I mean, here's Paul. If you want to have something to regret, how about killing Christians for the sake of God. He thought he was doing a good thing. It was terrible. Anyway, but here's the other thing. We've got to be careful not to look behind of all the things we've accomplished or all the good stuff, too. We keep looking behind, looking behind. I, I never forget when I was, uh, this is in the early 70s, I was a, a, a professional musician. I was a full-time musician until about 30 years old. And 
We used to play five nights a week, six nights sometimes, and I remember one job in particular. We'd usually go to a, a, a restaurant or a supper club or a lounge. We, we had a couple places that we'd rotate. We'd stay for two or three months. It's different today. You can't even find places that, you know, where you could get a, a, a gig for five nights a week, but we were, we'd have a, get in a place five nights a week for we'd book our maybe eight or 12 weeks there. And one night in particular, we were at this one uh, club we used to work at, and the, the crowd was just, it was, we had a, the night where we always used to play like Stump the Band and we'd ask for requests. We had an incredible repertoire, and I'm not bragging, but we, between the three of us, we knew so many songs. Most of the time we'd hit it, and people would be amazed. You know, How can you play the song? We're asking. And, and if we didn't know it, then we'd make something up stupid and act like jerks, you know, but we'd still manage to get through it and, and kind of get by it. But anyway, this night was just a, a night with the banter, with the people back and forth. And I remember talking to my father about it. My father was a tremendous musician. And, but I remember talking to him, I said, Pop, I said, last night, we killed him. I said, we absolutely killed him. And I remember my father looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, just remember something, he said, you're only as good as your next gig. And I said, wow. He says, remember, tomorrow night, you've got to go do the same thing again that you did tonight. He said, and start, you're starting all over again. You know, what does it matter what we did, all the things back there, the good stuff even, how is that rele relevant to now? Who cares? You know, you can't ride on, you know, past and your reputation or what you've done. You got, this is now, and we have to start focusing. So Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Forget the negative, forget the positive. In fact, I'm going to say this, and I don't want to offend the church, but we have to do that with this church, too. We've been here, yes, over 200 years. But we have to stop just looking at the glory days. Oh, you know, there was a time where we had 300 kids in... Uh, you know, VBS, and 150 kids in Sunday school, and adult Sunday school, we had 100, and the pews were filled. That's wonderful. But what good, how is that relevant now to us, where we are right now? How are we going to move forward? And that's what we have to look at. That's what we have to consider. Doesn't matter what was then. What is God going to do for us now? Remember when the Israelites... Wandered in the desert for 40 years. And Moses was their leader, and he was, I mean, what a great leader. I mean, God used Moses for the most incredible miracles. I mean, the miracles were just amazing. And then he died. He was 120 years old. The Lord took him. And it tells us, the end of Deuteronomy, in the beginning of Joshua, they mourned for Moses. They stayed there and mourned for 30 days. But you remember what happens in the beginning of Joshua? They were just sitting there mourning Moses for 30 days. And the Lord says to Joshua, he says, okay, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get the people and start crossing over into the land I promised you. Start fulfilling my plan for what I have for you guys. What was he saying? Yeah, Moses was a great leader. But that's the past. You can't live on, keep looking back and go, oh, at Moses, we, you know, the manna came down from, and the water out of the rock, and we were saved by this and that. That's, that's great. If you want to look back, and I do believe we should remember, but we should remember the way Jeremiah does. Remember when 586 in July, the Babylonian kingdom comes in, and they destroy the city and in July. And then a month later, the commander, Nebuchadnezzar, torches the whole city. He's got the command. Now, anything that's left, destroy it completely. And the people are all shipped off the diaspora. They go all over the place. And then, what happens? Jeremiah is walking through Jerusalem, his beloved city, the city of David. The, the holy city, the city where God's presence was inside the temple. He would manifest his presence to them in glory. And Jeremiah's going, and he's lamenting. 
the book of Lamentations. He's just brokenhearted and weeping. Oh, the, the gold has lost its glitter and all these things he's saying. We're ruined. Everybody's destroyed. And then all of a sudden in chapter 3, what does he say? He says, but one thing I recall comes to mind, he said, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What does Jeremiah remember? He's remembering all the glory of the past that's gone and he's weeping. And he says, but I have hope, he says. Why? Because God loves us and he's faithful. You know, the, in the Hebrew, the word hased always has to do with God's covenant love with them, that, that loyal love it means, or steadfast love. It's a love that never changes. And the Jews could hold on to that no matter what was happening. Jeremiah said, God is faithful and God is loving. So he, God is not just going to love us for a moment. He's going to love us always. He's faithful. That's what we need to remember. We want to remember something about the church. It's been here for 200 years. God loves us and he's faithful. Now what does he want us to do? And that's where we have to move now. We have to move ahead and not look at what we've done or what we failed at. God wants us to move forward. He wants us to move over to Jordan, to cross that Jordan River. You know, Moses is dead. Now get up and go. All right. Okay. The clock is moving here. All right. Let's move on here ourselves. Okay. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. What does that tell me? I got to exert some effort. It's not easy. It's hard to move ahead, isn't it? It's, oh, we'd rather just sit there. I, I was looking at this. I never realized this thing is so soft. This morning I was saying, what a great place to take a nap. I'd love to crawl up here, actually, if I, you know, put a little cover on me. Let me take a nap. It's, I'd rather sit there and take a nap than have to start straining and, and doing something. But you know what? That's what we're called to do if we want to accomplish God's work. And he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He's exerting. He's there. He's, the runners, if they don't strain, if the guy's running like this, you know, everybody's going to pass him. He's got to strain and push ahead there. He says, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. What does he mean? He's pursuing. He's moving forward. He's pursuing. And what is he pursuing? He says, I press on toward the goal. Well, what's the goal? To win the prize. The goal is to get the prize. The prize is the goal. He says, to get the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, and when he talks before, he says, I want to, I want to, you know, to apprehend what Christ, how Christ has taken hold of me. I want to take hold of that. Well, what's God's goal? Heavenward, he says, perfection, to be like Christ. He says, that's our goal, to be like Jesus. You know what? If all of our goals was like this, the church would move ahead crazy. It would be really just, it would move ahead because if we were all living, you know, trying to attain more Christ-likeness, it would affect the people around us. It would affect the community greatly because we'd be doing things that we never thought we could do. Anyway, he says, if we press on toward the gold, win the prize which God has called me heavenward. That's, that's our goal, to keep moving more in perfection like Christ through him, by getting closer to him. And if you want to flip, flip to, to chapter 8 for a minute of Romans. Because in chapter 8 of Romans, starting at verse 28, he tells us what that goal is, what I just said. More to be like Christ, more perfection. But I want you to just see it's a, a, a passage that you, you know well. Letter to the Romans, 
chapter 8, verse 28. And I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Remember that. Those who love him, he's working for the good. He doesn't say he works for the good of everybody. He works for those who love him, for the good, who have been called according to his purpose. We're only here because God called us first. We didn't get here on our own. He called us. He chose us. He predestined us. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. He had a plan. He had a plan from the beginning, from the foundations of the earth, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You want to know God's plan for your life? He wants you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He wants us to be like Christ. Are we going to attain it? No. Paul said, not in this lifetime. No. Paul says, am I there yet? No. Have I achieved this? No. But I press on toward the goal. This is Paul's goal, he says, to continually to get more Christ-like, to have more righteousness. And what does that come from? Working? No. Paul told us that already, didn't he? Paul said, you're not going to get there by all this stuff, this rubbish. Because you get there by knowing Christ, by moving closer to Jesus. He says here, and he says uh, that to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's when we will be like Christ. That is our goal. Do you believe that? Do you believe that someday you will have a new body and a new nature that will be sinless, that will be perfect? Right now, in this unredeemed body, this body of flesh, no, we're never going to have perfection, but one day we will because we're going to be changed in a moment, we're told, and we're going to be like Christ. Oh, how I want that. I hope you do. I want that. I, I want to be done with, with the wrong motives and the sin and the selfishness and the, aches, and the aches and pains in the body, too. It's a good deal. The inside and the outside, you know, not just the outside. So it's a nice, it's a nice package. It really is. The in and out together, they, they, like that. Anyway, let's go back there for a moment and we'll finish up. I'm surprised I didn't hear an amen on that. We're going to finish up. Amen! Hallelujah! People all start becoming Pentecostal here and running up and down the aisles. He's going to finish. Uh, (laughs) Okay. He says that God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us, listen to this, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He says, keep moving upward. He says, don't, don't, you know, you make a gain and then you start slacking off and falling back in the race again. You're moving, you're moving forward, you're pressing, you're straining, he says, toward that goal. You have to exert, you know, there is... In justification, in when we are regenerated, it is completely the work of God. It's not what we do. God regenerates our heart, and yes, then by faith, we ask Christ. You know, oh Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I want to follow you, Lord. I love you, Lord. This, but first, God does a work in our hearts. Read Ephesians and that makes it so clear we're dead until God but God who is rich in mercy makes us alive he takes the dead heart and opens it up and then I can say yes Jesus because he gives me he says you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God God gives me the, the ability to say yes but then so that's all the work of God But sanctification is God's grace 
but us moving toward him. Paul is talking about the journey of sanctification, the process, we can say, of sanctification, of straining and moving toward the Lord. We have to do something there. Paul in uh, chapter 2, verse 12, in this same book, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now you might say, I gotta work out my salvation? Wait a minute, but what's the rest of it? For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So, yes, I am working out my salvation because God is working in me. That grace of God is working in me and I'm striving more and more like that. It's the both of us. All right, so what do we do for this? We, we press on, he says, and uh, we move toward the prize. But what can we do? Well. Some of you might be disappointed because you might be waiting for me now to give you some magical formula to say, how can I get this instantly to just start living like this? Well, in the beginning, Paul said that he reminds us over and over of the things we already know. Spend time in the Bible. Not just reading. Spend time with God spoken about this before. The scriptures are living and active. They speak. That's how God, one way God speaks to us is through his word. That's how we hear those words. We just don't read. That's why I'm always leery about, I want to read through the Bible in a year. It's a good plan if you can do it. If you can spend enough time to slowly absorb and soak in the word, it's good, but lots of times Oh, I got a half hour, I got to read the five chapters. That, that's no good. It's better than doing nothing. But you're better off reading a paragraph. Say, Lord, show me, what, how does this pertain to me? What, is, what do I need to see here? What, can I, what, what do I want? What do you want from me here? And spend time with the Lord. The second thing is prayer. And again, prayer should not always be just me, you know, Thank you, Lord. Gimme, 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 gimme. Silence. Sometimes silent prayer is the best thing. Meditation. You know, just sitting quietly before the presence of God is, is something. And I'm telling you, you do that, and you're going to more and more have a hunger and thirst for God. If you're saying right now, gee, I just, I, I don't feel like straining. I don't feel like you know, pressing ahead. I'm, I'm kind of just flat. Try sitting with the word. Try being silent before God like that. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, God will respond when we reach out. You know, when the, when the Israelites were in Babylon, in, as uh, they were exiled there, God had Jeremiah write a letter. What did he say in the letter? He said, when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, he said, I will be found by you. If you really seek God, he will be found with a sincere heart. He will. So let's, let's make it our goal this year to press on for that one thing, to be more like Christ. And we do that with God's grace and our effort. And we do that through Bible reading, through prayer. And there's one last thing I want to mention that I think would be a good idea that helps much. And that's find somebody. You know, find somebody who you believe is a good model. Somebody who you know has good knowledge of the Scripture. And go to them and ask them, ask them if they'd go out for a cup of coffee and just talk. And then talk about it, and talk about verses you want to talk about. Don't talk about sports, you can talk about sports if you want, but talk about the Bible. Talk about your life. Ask them, pick their brains in their heart. Because to any Christian I've ever known who loves the Lord and loves the Lord's people, 
dies for moments like that. To spend with somebody, being able to share, to impart truth to them. Your experience that you know, and not as, well, I have it all together. What do you want to know, little man? You know, it's not that kind of thing. It's, I don't have it all together, but I can tell you what I believe and what I've learned. And you work like that. But find somebody. And I think there's a big difference between us seeking someone out than, to, than for the church to get together and say, okay, we're going to have a mentoring program. Okay, you're, Steve, I want you to see X, Y, and Z and talk to them and say, you know, do you want to get together and we'll do this and that? Or, you know, Charlie, would you call up so-and-so? No, I think it's more important when the person seeks to do that because they're hungry. Because if you, if you ask somebody and they're not really hungry already, it's not going to have the same impact. A person, if you think you want to grow, seek somebody out one-on-one. -on -one. There's something about mentoring that I was blessed to have a great mentor. The senior pastor in the church who I worked with, we just, he was my mentor. I mean, I'd get times to talk with him, and he would talk to me, and we'd bounce stuff off one another and stuff. And I learned more like that than sitting in all the classes I took. I'm telling you, find somebody who loves the Lord and loves his people, and build a relationship with them. Ask them things and grow so that this year you can get to a point where you say, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Our goal is the righteousness of Christ. Forget about everything you've done. Focus upon being more like Christ. You want the righteousness that comes from him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would put in us a hunger and thirst. Lord, a hunger and thirst to have more righteousness. Not a righteousness from our own, but a righteousness that is through Christ, Lord by spending time with you, Lord, by loving you, and by spending time with your people, and then, Lord, spending time with the lost and letting them hear your word that they might come to a place where they see their great need for you as well. Thank you, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.